All right, and welcome back to the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. This is episode five. You're here with uh, father and son duo and co-host Andrew and James Lindroth. And we are doing things a little bit differently today. So, Dad, kind of give us the lowdown on what's uh, what's going on on your side of things. Well, uh, your stepmother uh, came down with the coronavirus. So this past week, uh, we've all been quarantined in the house, and she's quarantined to our bedroom. I'm upstairs, and, um, you know, we both can't, you know, go anywhere for, for a while. So that's where we're at this week. And I've got my dad on the phone this time. Um, usually we'd be able to do something like get on Zoom and, and get us both on here if we were to do it from a distance. But unfortunately, uh, dad lives out in the sticks out there in Oklahoma. So unfortunately, his Wi-Fi, um, including mine too, but my, my father's Wi-Fi isn't as solid. So unfortunately, we're having to resort to just put him on the phone. So he's almost like a special guest today, unfortunately. But we do... Oh. We do have a good, short, but sweet show for you guys today. We definitely, even though uh, things are a little bit different for this podcast episode, we wanted to still get something out to you all and continue that streak of content. So we've got a few things we're going to be talking about. Um, So the leak of the Bruins uh, retro jerseys, I know that the NHL is about to officially actually announce and and showcase all those, but uh, Bruins fans pretty much have an idea now of what uh, those reverse jerseys are we're also going to be talking about uh, dad i think you said the top five or just some of the worst trades in nhl history correct that is correct and we will also talk about um just very very briefly coach cassie giving an update on marshan and pasta um i'm also going to talk about an old school little topic from think thankfully to hockeyfights.com uh, most fights in uh, one season for the Bruins. So I'm going to be talking about the most fighting majors the Bruins have had in one season and the top five players for that season as well. And then we're going to talk about um, Top Shelf Hockey's um, latest YouTube video that they uh, posted um, about uh, an official trade rumor or at least Bruins showing interest in Noah Hannafin, a defenseman from Calgary. And... uh, the, the trade rumor is Hannafin and Bennett um, going to Boston for either and or Brandon Carlo and Jake DeBrusque. So we've got a couple of topics to be talking about today. So I'd like to start first. Dad, I'd like to get your opinion um, on what you think of the Bruins uh, possible retro jerseys, that 60s, 70s style. You've got the, the beautiful meth bear on the shoulder. So what do you think of that? Yeah, I think it's much better than what we discussed last week, which was the 90s Pooh Bear jersey. Uh, This one looks like uh, something from the 60s, I believe. Uh, I've only looked at it real quick, but uh, I like the all gold or or yellow. Uh, I believe it's gold. So, yeah, it's got the meth bear on it, too, right? So you can't go wrong with that. You keep the old school in there. I do believe that the spoked B is is different, however. But uh, yeah, I'm 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 okay with it. Not that I'm going to run out and buy it, but I think it's fine. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm I'm super super overly excited, but the meth bear being on there, I think that that's hilarious. And plus, I've got a lot of memories uh, as a young kid for some reason of that exact bear. Luckily, not the that '90s uh, Winnie the Pooh uh, design, but 
for some reason that that old meth bear look uh, for some reason that's implanted into my memory from when I was younger dad um, so yeah I, I like the jersey styles I think that um, you know definitely better than the Winnie the Pooh I think that uh, I would have liked to have seen that 80s um, spoke to be and I think that it looks pretty similar but I like the more of a throwback um, going to that 60s feel um, but it'll be interesting to actually see um, and, and confirmed what it's what it's actually going to be from NHL and the Boston Bruins themselves. I'm also, I'm not gonna lie, I'm pretty excited to see uh, the other teams' jerseys as well. I think that this is more of an excitement for other teams and stuff than just the Bruins. Do you have any other teams that you're you've been looking forward to uh, to seeing their jerseys specifically? Well, uh, I'm interested to see what the Pittsburgh jersey looks like, only because remember Pittsburgh in the in the '80s, I believe, went to the black and yellow or black and gold, and I remember that caused problems with you know Boston fans. They used to be like a, you know like a baby blue and something else. I, I forget. So hopefully they'll go a little bit more old school than maybe in the '80s. You know black and yellow jersey i definitely can't wait to see the old hartford whalers stuff uh from the carolina hurricanes again i already know that that's going to be part of their old school what other teams is there another franchise out there dad that like the carolina hurricanes throwing it back to hartford um is there another team that i'm not thinking of at the moment that will throw it back to an old school franchise team that's not here anymore no, not that I think of. I, you know, they they pretty much like to separate. You know, when teams have been sold and moved. You know what I mean. So it's it's. Uh, I, I I don't anticipate any other teams doing that. You know what I'm. You know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Dad, I'd like to move on. Um, I'd I'd like to real quick just touch base on this uh, trade room before we go to your. Um, some of the worst trades in NHL history. Um, so this this came from uh, this a rumor came from Top Shelf Hockey. They made a YouTube video uh, breaking this down. Personally, um, I can I can. Anything, um, but it's seeming like there could be a bigger blockbuster trade on the rise with that. Um, and, and some of that involved is uh, Sam Bennett, who, as you know, is a, a, one of the top first round picks years ago and unfortunately has been a little bit, um, I would say, underwhelming uh, to the Calgary franchise. I know it's kind of off and on. He's a good, tough guy, usually a fourth line plug, um, but they're in the Western Conference. So I'm not 100 percent familiar with all that I'm not super stoked um, on the idea of, of Carlo going for Hannafin I don't think that Hannafin is better than Carlo and I think that Carlo has got more size on him too and you know in my opinion he's a better shutdown defenseman and uh, just looking at you know just on paper at face value real quick with just the trade rumor you know comparing Sam Bennett and DeBrus there isn't too much of a comparison you know you'd like Sam Bennett for you know that tenacity you know that that toughness and you know the the ability to go and attack the the front of the net without being afraid but you've got some of that in Jake DeBrusque as well you know I think that although he's not a 
um, big time power forward like a, a Tom Wilson, um, but you know he still shows some of that old school um, straight line drive on on the winger position. I think that you know Jake DeBrusque almost you know eclipsing 30 goals in the 2018-2019 season. I just don't see why you wouldn't give Jake DeBrusque another chance, another crack at um, finding some really solid chemistry with either Coyle or um, Krejci, who's been trying to, um, you know, develop solid chemistry with. And although he is very hot, uh, hot and cold, I do think that uh, this, uh, this trade doesn't really make too much sense. And I think that right now the Bruins also aren't in a position to give away um, – a ton of draft picks as they've already done so in the past. Although I'm not always too pleased with the Bruins um, drafting choices, but you know, those kind of draft choices, unless they're a, a, you know, top 10 first rounder or something, you can't really determine if it's a good pick until way later on. But I think that the Bruins just need to stick to what they're doing. And I don't think that they need to involve themselves in a big blockbuster trade. I think that uh, Tory Krug leaving definitely, definitely hurt the chemistry in the team a little bit, especially with the hockey side of things. You know that these players say, well, it's just business. It's a hockey business, but you know, that hurts. So I just don't think sending off another top player of the Bruins is going to do much. So, so just on face value, dad, I know you're not familiar with Calgary and their players, but just based off the information I've given you, what are your opinions about this? I mean, it doesn't sound like a blockbuster trade to me. Um, we know that DeBrusque is trade bait, or at least that's what you know the media is and hockey writers are throwing out there all the time. Um, Carlo, I like Carlo. I think he's a good stay-at-home defenseman. Um, uh, he's a big guy, but I think at times he needs to be more physical. Um, but I like Carlo, but I just don't think he's developed yet. Um, and neither is DeBrusque. Like you said, DeBrusque is, has that grit to him, but uh, he, he doesn't have the size, you know. Uh, but, I, but you know, I, I discussed before, I think he's, he's good to continue to develop. I think the Bruins have to do something. I think the Bruins are in trouble at this point. Uh, you know, we're closing in. We're mid-November now, and the season's going to be starting soon. And, uh, you know, we've got hurt, you know, star players, and we lost Krug. And, yeah, we, we need to uh, make some trades, but it, it has to be smart trades. And I don't know what we're going to get, you know, based on what we're willing to give away. Yeah, and I, and I agree. I, I still think that the Bruins do need to do something. I just don't know what – they can do without tearing down the team chemistry quite a bit because it's easy for all of us fans and want to be armchair GMs to sit here and try and direct the team's direction and what they should do. But, you know, I think that the team chemistry is a, a very, very, very important aspect um, to a team's, uh, I mean, that, that, that word overall chemistry, I mean, how well they play together and that they want to win that camaraderie. And that's, that's pretty rare to find a lot of teams. I mean, look at Tampa Bay Lightning. I feel like that that's part of the reason why they pulled through. They've had that same core for the past few years, you know, almost since uh, most of them since 2015, I, I think when, I think that was the year when they made it to the finals and lost. I could be wrong, but um, yeah, I agree with you. So do you have any final thoughts on that topic, dad, that, that, that rumor? Well, you know, the Bruins, uh, I, I mean, like you said, we're going to arm chair 
GM this, which we don't want to do, but I think the Bruins, they have some other players that they could make trades for. You know, we talk about John Moore, for example. You know, he he doesn't play anymore, and we're paying him $2.5 million. You know, let's move him, get somebody else. And, you know, it might have to be move somebody to get somebody else to move that person with another person to get somebody better, you know? Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree with you. And the thing, too, is to look out for Carlo being trade bait as he is on his last year of his contract. So he's going to be demanding um, even more money than he just yeah. earned this past I two just summers don't ago. Know, you know, we don't know what the demand level is for these players. Right. And there might not be much demand uh, for, you know, Carlo or, or DeBrusque or someone else. But, you know, trading players that aren't superstars, we're not going to get superstars. So it's kind of, you know, it, it's it's a chance. Sometimes it's like, you know, buying a lottery ticket. And sometimes it's better not to play the lottery, you know, keep what you got. But, but I think the Bruins do need to make some trades. They have not made done much in signings. We've talked about that in the past. It seems like th- it, th- that it appears to be an internal cap based on, you know, they're not signing Chara. They're not, they're not doing anything right now. And maybe they're in a wait and see mode. And, you know, I, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, but, the Bruins, I think, are in trouble at this point. They've not done much. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I, I still will tell people all the time, I think that uh, us picking up uh, Craig Smith is going to help quite a bit. Obviously, um, you know, that's not solving all of our problems, but it definitely helped. It definitely, it definitely addresses a need. I will say that. Um, uh, losing Tory Krug hurts. It's going to hurt offensively on that blue line, but I think Grizzly is going to step up. Um, it's just a matter of honestly, these rookies stepping up. That's that's pretty much where the Bruins are throwing their hope in is is that their development um, has been strong enough to hopefully carry them with this old core and some of these um, new ac- acquisitions um, or acquisitions to you know move on to try and win the cup with these guys, especially with Rask, who only has one year left. Halak has got one year left, so. Bruins got to do something. Sweeney's got to kind of not be scared, but you also don't want to tear a team apart. Um, but let's go ahead. Let's move on dad from now. Um, before you talk about your trade stuff, I would just like to briefly address um, that uh, originally when I had written this topic, it was for earlier in this week. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties. So it's not like I'm super on the news, but coach Cassidy did have um, a brief uh, press conference or at least answered some questions. And he confirmed that um, Brad Marsh and David Pasternak are on track um, right now with their recoveries from their surgeries and their injuries. Um, so they're, even though they still won't be joining the Bruins uh, at the very beginning of the season, if the season begins um, January 1st, then, um, you know, but the thing is, is now it's looking like February 4th. This is really looking like what they're pushing it to. And uh, there's still no updates um, from the NHLPA or anything about. Uh, I thought I saw something briefly last night about the league is talking about a like a 48 to 60 game season yes their plan is they still want to hand out the cup in july the latest that's their plan so they're trying to plan around that and they said that uh the first half of the season obviously they said that you know players from the nhlpa have said um that nobody will agree to a full season of 
of hub cities and doing what they did for the playoffs, but they considered having that strictly Canadian division and those other American divisions where they all are um, in location relevance. And uh, so they're looking at maybe 48, 60 games, like you were saying, and then have fans hopefully at the second half and then for the playoffs. So it'll be interesting. There's still so many unknowns and especially like you were saying earlier, dad with um, Bruins cap situation and stuff and players worth everything's so unknown and up in the air even so well, have a kind and of- i think i think the you know the owners are also chiming chiming in to their you know presidents and gms of saying you know look they we anticipate only this much in revenue at the way you know the schedule stands so i'm sure that there's a lot of you know teams that aren't going to go full salary cap because they know that the season is going to be short and uh you know they also predicting probably not a, a lot of income coming in so uh you know there's just uh, just like with everything with this covid virus it's it's everybody's adjusting and and nothing is normal so it's everything's just uh very fluid yeah i i, I 100 agree so it'll just it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen but i did want to give an update on that just to let fans know in case they haven't heard or anything like that and if you had new information too so dad i'd like you to talk about uh tell me some of the worst trades that you think are of the nhl history well since we're in the trade um you know environment right now i figured i'd kind of go back and look at some really horrible trades or let's put it this way some some of the greatest trades it depends on what team you know what side you're on very true but, uh, now so i tried to narrow down and this is not extensive and it's not the top uh but i do have four or five that i think uh would serve the current GMs well to, you know, really think things through and learn from past mistakes. Now, the criteria for this was this, I tried not to get trades that involve future picks because, you know, when you trade, you know, for, and you give up a first or second round, a third round pick, you know, you have no idea who that pick is. That's going to be up to the team that gets that pick and, everything else so it's you know a lot of people say you know oh my god how can you you know what what a terrible trade because they got their our first round pick and it was so and you know it was so and so and they went on to be the greatest hockey player in the world so i tried to eliminate those situations so these are just straight up player to player trades uh, I'll start with 1976, dealing with the Boston Bruins. So the New York Rangers trade Rick Middleton for Boston, uh, for Boston veteran Ken Hodge. So Middleton at that point um, was a very up-and-coming player for the Rangers. Hodge was starting to age, but you know Hodge was part of that big bad Bruins in the 60s, 70s. And, uh, you know, won cups with them and everything else. So anyway, Middleton goes on to have a great career in Boston. The rumor was that he liked to party it up a little bit too much there in, in New York City. And when he got traded to Boston, he had, you know, uh, grapes done to cherry. And that guy didn't allow those guys to go out and party and do all those things. He was really not. You know, he kept a tight leash or he tried to keep a tight leash on his players and it worked. 
And Middleton went on to have a great career, became captain. You know, he was, you know, nicknamed Nifty. Uh, he was just a great goal scorer. And, and he went on to play many, many seasons for Boston. And I believe he's the president of the Bruins Alumni Association. So he's still doing great work for uh, representing the Boston Bruins. And what happened to Ken Hodge? He only played 96 games and then retired. And out of those 96 games, he only had 23 goals. Jeez. So clearly not a good trade for the New York Rangers. No, that's why it's 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 definitely a little difficult to give up a, a, a hot young gun for that vet. Sometimes it doesn't work out when you get the vet. Well, here's another hot gun. So 1996, Winnipeg Jets trade uh, Timu Solani to Anaheim. And it was for a first-round pick who was Chad Kliger uh, or Kilger. I, I don't know that player. And, of course, um, Oleg Tevernoski. And uh, obviously that was a great trade for the Jets, but terrible. I mean, sorry, for Anaheim, but terrible for the Jets. Um, you know, uh, Tevernoski just bounced around from team to team to team. And uh, what did Solani? He became a franchise player. And it was just one of those situations where the Jets GM made a terrible, terrible call trade a young player. So did he not realize Solani was already showing that he was going to be generational talent for a team? Well, I mean, why would he give up, you know, like a top player? Was he not showing that back then? Do you remember? Well, I remember the Jets thought that they were trading, you know, a young guy with, with good, good future for a first round pick. And, you know, Tevinoski, who, who wasn't a bad player, but, uh, you know, they just thought that was a good deal, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Damn. All right, moving on. So we will go to 1970, I think it's 74, 75, somewhere around there. And again, dealing with the New York Rangers and the Boston Bruins. Now, they, they had a rivalry, not as bad as, you know, the Montreal but, you know, Bruins and Rangers did have a rivalry, but it is strange that they made a lot of trades together. So you got to understand that the Rangers, you know, they would go to the cup finals and they would lose all the time. And I think that the year before this trade, the season before, they went to the semifinals and the Rangers GM just thought that they needed to shake things up. So they sent Brad Park and Gene Tell uh, and Joe... Um, uh, Zanussi to Boston for Phil Esposito and Carol Vadney. Oh, really? I didn't know Phil Esposito ended up going to over to that team. Oh, yeah, and he was bad. He did not want to leave, but he ended up, uh, you know, going to the Rangers, and and he actually ended up having a. And Brad Park, who was the star for the New York Rangers. I mean, you know, there is a um, stories of, you know, uh, Bob Yorn, Brad Park hating each other, you know, and they fought, you know, in the playoffs and everything else in the 70s. And they actually became line mates. And this is uh, and I think they only had like a dozen or so games together uh, on the blue line. They were on the same line and they were just phenomenal together and of course Bobby Orr which we won't talk about here you know ended up 
going to Chicago, signing with Chicago. So, but anyway, and Jean Rattel. So uh, Rangers thought he was washed up, and he wasn't. Uh, Jean Rattel went on to have a great career with Boston, put up a lot of numbers. And the rumor that I remember hearing was Rattel would, um, he had a bad back, and the Rangers knew that. And when he went to Boston, John Cherry would uh, not let him do practices because he knew that he was he had his hurt back. So he would just basically show up and play the games. And uh, it worked. I mean, Gene Rattel knows what he's knows what he's doing. So it ended up being a great uh, trade for the Boston Bruins. Um, I don't know what happened to uh, Zanussi. I think we kept him around, but I don't remember him playing too much. But I would have to look up his stats. Interesting. Okay. All right. So next, we'll go to the Brett Hall trade. So the Brett Hall trade, so this is back in 1988, Calgary trades Brett Hall to St. Louis along with Steve Bozek for Rom, uh, sorry, Rob Ramage and Rick Wansley, Rick Wansley, the goaltender. Now, of course, everybody knows Brett Hall went on to be the franchise player in St. Louis. And, I mean, I don't know what, Cal- what Calgary's GM was thinking. So what happened to Calgary? So Calgary Ramage stayed only one season before ended up going to Toronto. Okay. Okay. Uh, Wansley played as backup goalie for about three or four seasons, and he ended up in Toronto after that. So the trade was just horrible. You gave up Brett Hall. You know, for two players, that one was a backup goal and the other one just stayed at a year. It's almost like the Ken Hodge trade. So, uh, not a good trade for Calgary at all. No, that's and terrible. I got, and I got one more for you here. Okay. And this is, you know, the Cam Neely trade. So, the Canucks trade a very young Cam Neely and a first-round pick to Boston for Barry Peterson. Oh, okay. Barry Peterson is one of the uh, announcers with Jaffe on the Nessa networks. So, uh, you know, and I remember Barry Peterson was a, a, a great player for Boston, you know, early on. Um, and somehow the Canucks wanted him. And we got Cam Neely, who was just starting to break out. And we got a first round pick. And that first round pick, I believe, ended up being Glenn Wesley for us, who was a great stay-at-home defenseman, um, you know, served on the line with Ray Bork for many, many seasons. And he ended up in Carolina, I believe, and won a cup with Carolina and Brenda Moore. So uh, it was a great trade for Boston. Barry Peterson never put up the numbers that he did in Boston. And he ended up being, you know, traded a few places. And now he's on Nesson. So he's back in Boston. Oh, full cycle right there. Not a good trade for Vancouver. So, you know, I guess the moral of the story is really kind of understand who you're trading and why you'd be trading them. And, you know, ex- really examine who you're getting and, and what is it going to look like, you know, four years or five years from now. And clearly some of these GMs don't ask that question. You know, where are we going to be five years from now with this trade? Well, that's the problem with their jobs always being on the line, in my opinion, Dad, is like you say now, especially in today's NHL, is 
that you always win now attitude. You're either completely rebuilding or a win now attitude. And sometimes I feel like some of these GMs are like, so fucking what? I may not be around in five years. So I need to make myself look good now. And I think that it's sometimes detrimental to a team's future. Well, I think you're right. You know, it's some another topic we can talk about another podcast. But, you know, it's like GMs and coaches, uh, coaches in particular, you know, the, the old saying in hockey is, you know, a hockey coach is hired to be fired, you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they know that, uh, you know, their their lifespan isn't going to be that long, um, even though there are some some coaches that have been around for a long time on teams but yeah definitely in today's culture it's it's win now um and yeah it, it probably is detrimental you know no one wants to develop because nobody wants if you're saying we're developing that just means that you know you, you know this is Ottawa starting to stack up, starting to get these um, big time prospects that are going to hop right up to the NHL level. So it's going to be kind of exciting to see some of these teams that have been notoriously bad over the past few years start to turn it around. I feel like that's, that's always nice to start seeing, uh, you know, different names and teams, you know, going into the playoffs and having that different competition. I mean, you know, we, you know, don't forget Ottawa made a good push and what was it, 2017 or something. So, you know, they've been rebuilding since then. I feel like that they might be on the cusp of finally getting to that point was, you know, I hope Detroit wins more than 14 games. You know, personally, I don't like seeing a team lose that many times in one season. It just doesn't look good. And so it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. So dad, I got one more topic for you today. Um, Like I said, everybody, it's going to be a short and sweet episode of what we got going on. Um, but I did go back to hockeyfights.com. If you haven't gone there yet, you can do all sorts of research. They try and add every fight possible and all the information. Um, so this is the most fights in one season for the Boston Bruins. So this is going back. I think uh, I think hockeyfights.com has their information up to about 1955, 1956 season. So about then. So which I don't think any time before then there's probably more fights going on. Um, so I think that this is pretty accurate. So dad, get ready for the most violent year of the Boston Bruins. I don't think that this will surprise you, but it is the 1987, 1988 season. There was 132 fighting majors for the Bruins that year, starting at number five, Cam Neely with nine fights, number four. they signed him they could have traded for him willie plett uh made a name for himself with the atlanta flames organization okay and he he was the stereotypical goon at that time in in the hockey world and uh so by the time the Bruins got him, he was kind of like Knuckles uh, Nylon when we got Nylon in Boston. He could still throw him down, but he was definitely way past his prime. And I do remember when you bring up Willie Plett, 
uh, I do remember the first game he played for Boston. I remember the Bruins announcer, Fred Cusick, was kind of getting on his case a little bit about, well, Bruins picked up, you know, tough guy, Willie Plett, blah, blah, blah. The first game he played, he scored a goal. <laughs> and it was probably the only goal he scored for the whole season. Jeez. But anyway, that's, uh, that's who Willie Plett is, according to my memory. Interesting. Yeah, going back and watching all those old fight videos when I was a kid back in the day, I definitely don't remember Plett. Um, but at number two, so now the top two guys start to blow everybody away so you can kind of see who the real, real tough guys were. And uh, you won't be surprised by this one, Dad. We've been talking about him recently. Lyndon Byers, 24 fights. And by the way, after you get off this podcast, Dad, you and especially anybody else, you're a fan of Lyndon Byers. HockeyFights.com has been posting a bunch of fights, especially today, some old Lyndon Byers fights. And you not only can Byers fight, Dad, but what I've noticed is he can take a punch. He can take a punch. I mean, I've seen some of those fights that Hockey Fights been posting on Instagram. And, I mean, some of his head is bouncing back with some of those punches, but it's like tied dome. Yeah. It's like it doesn't affect him. Yeah, Lyndon Byers was a, was a, was a tough guy. Uh, he's a, still, a, I think he's still a radio announcer in, in Boston, or maybe that, I remember he's on WAAF, but I, I don't remember if it's that channel that got bought out by somebody else or, but anyway, he, he has, or had his own morning show, I think. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. He, he wasn't the best fighter in the world, but he was definitely a tough guy. He would, you know, get in there and help police things and he, he could take a punch and he could throw him. So, uh, uh, you know, he was a uh, uh, one of favorite of mine around that time. So was he kind of comparable to a? And, and, and I don't say this in a bad way. I love Gregory Campbell, and he won the hearts of Bruins fans, especially when he no, had that block no, shot. He, but no, no, he, no, Linda Byers was definitely you know a, a, a fighter. I mean, he was a fighter, but you know, he he, he didn't always win. You know, he, I don't think he was the Jane Miller. You know, he was teamed up with Jane Miller a lot. Um, you know, so he wasn't a Jane Miller. He wasn't a Stan Jonathan. He wasn't a Terry O'Reilly. But you know, he was definitely a guy. If if he was going to drop him, you know, he was going to, you know, he was going to do his his best. Well, now that you had just mentioned him, at number one is Jay Miller with a whopping 33 fighting majors. And I don't know how your hand and your head and your face could take that beating night after night and your body. I mean, they played some hard-hitting hockey back in that day. So Jay Miller is one tough, tough guy. Yeah, the, the, the Bruins had, if, if and this is going off my memory, uh, maybe the stats would show otherwise, but the Bruins had a lot of rivals at that time. Anytime we played the Hartford Whalers, every time we played the Quebec Nordiques, of course Montreal, you know, it there was a a lot of fights breaking out. A lot of policing had to be done. I mean, it was a rough time. Now, you may not know this, Andrew, and and the our listeners may or may not believe this, but we don't know what we we talk about. You come up with a topic, I come up with a topic, and we don't really discuss it beforehand. We're just going to say, hey, we're going to talk about this. Yeah. But you don't know the details. But So I'm going to ask you, since you brought up, this is 1987. Yep. 
who is the coach of the Bruins? Why why would they, they have so many fighting majors? Who is the coach? Terry O'Reilly. Terry O'Reilly was the coach. And you know what? What was that video? Was it against Montreal when uh, they had that? Was it when Nyland had the brawl in the oh yeah the hallway? And I don't know who grabbed onto O'Reilly because of course O'Reilly's getting it mixed up with the guys going to the bench. And who was it that grabbed the guy and was like, "Listen, you don't want to do this. You might be older now, but you know he's just telling him like you don't want to fuck with him. He's Terry O'Reilly." You can yeah, see O'Reilly's face. Think, He's staring think, at him. I think it was Mike McPhee. Okay. Uh, which, from he, Montreal, but it was pretty I, tough. I, McPhee I, was pretty tough. Now that you bring up his name, right? He was, and I think it was was it Milbury that kind of got in the. I think you know, it was kinda, Milbury. Huh? I think it was Milbury. Yeah. You know, it was basically you know, and O'Reilly was at the point where you know he was ready to duke it up, but he can't. He's a coach now, so. But you never want to get O'Reilly upset. He, that Irish temper would just, he'd go, he'd go nuts. So, you know. Yeah, good times though. Good. T- I mean, and, and you know what's funny is, is when I was looking up all the numbers and stuff. You know what season came pretty close, not in numbers as a, as numbers of fighting majors, but ranking. Um, was the 2010-2011 season when the Bruins won the Cup. They pushed about 78 fights that year. So hockey was still violent up until, you know, about a decade ago because I think it started to fade out once you started going to 2015, that draft class with McDavid and stuff. But, man, hockey's still a tough sport regardless. I mean, the NHL had, what, 246 fights this year or something, so – you know, compared to the early 2000s where they're having 900 and something fights, there's still quite, well, a, there's still quite a bit of fights going on for that sport, in my opinion. Yeah, it, you know, it bothers me where, you know, you go to a non-hockey state and, you know, you're, they always make that whole stupid joke about, oh, I went to a, I went to a uh, hockey, you know, I went to a fight and a hockey game broke out, you know. Right. Sort of that old slap shot you know, hockey is nothing but a bunch of, you know, goons hitting each other. And, you know, they just don't understand the game. They don't understand, you know, how fighting uh, is used as a strategy sometimes for right. teams. And, you know, I mean, it's worked. I mean, look at the Bruins in St. Louis. I mean, I hate to say it, but the Bruins lost because St. Louis just pounded them yeah i agree and and any t- any coach i think understands today that you're not going to win the cup if you don't have a tough team that's willing to you know make the other team hurt that doesn't mean you know maybe uh bench brawls you know donnie brooks uh are, are a thing of the past maybe they are but uh it, it'll never go away, and I think that fighting is also a re- release valve for even the fans, of course the players, but even the fans. Yeah. And I think that no one's happy when it goes overboard and it just turns into, you know, not a not a part of the sport. It just turns into, uh, you know, a frustration situation. Nobody really likes that. But uh, we don't have too much of that today, I don't think. No, and definitely no more really uh, what you would consider goons either. Every once in a while, you get that old school fighter. Like I wanted to bring up uh, Michael Haley. 
who dad, if you don't remember, was part of the infamous uh, Penguins and Islanders brawl in 2010, where it was a line brawl. And then after he was done fighting, he got away from the refs and challenged uh, the Penguin goalie. And uh, I think it was Goddard hopped over the uh, the bench and it was 10 on 10 brawl. And he just got signed again by the Ottawa Senators. So he's going from Rangers to there. So you still have some of those old school kind of goons or enforcers that are still in the league but um you know now they're turning into more talent you know that's why everybody's so into a player like tom wilson he's the well, whole package he he is and boy would i love to see him you know on on my team but uh, you know it does bring up since we're kind of finishing up here we're talking uh you know john scott you know i always felt bad for the guy you know, he was on Buffalo and he was a goon and he really couldn't skate very fast and he couldn't really score except for that, that one year at the uh, All-Star game, if you remember that. Yep. Uh, you know, he stole the show. Good for him. Really good for him. Yeah. But anyway, the point being is if you watch some of the John Scott videos, you know, he would even say, I don't want to, I didn't want to fight, but that's just what I was paid to do and what I was told to do. And he was just so big and so much like an ox and wasn't talented in the way of, you know, the other players on the ice. It was just uh, not very, not very sportsmanlike, shall we say, meaning the fans didn't like it. They knew every time the guy went on the ice, he was just going to go out there to hurt somebody. Right. And, you know, nobody, nobody likes that anymore because the game is so fast. Yeah. You know, that you've got to be good. You're never going to put on a, a jersey on an NHL team if you can't skate, you know, with the, with the other guys. And you know what? As much as I love old school hockey fights, I love line brawls and, and all that hatred and the passion, you know, and the rivalry between two teams. Um, you know, I, I, I can't say I'm enjoying – you know, the fact that there are, you know, everybody's kind of fighting, if that makes sense. There isn't just those typical goon fights, because I'm not going to lie, after a while, you know, it's kind of old to see the same, you know, tough guys fight each other just to spark up their team or the fans. And, you know, it's nice. I'm not necessarily complaining about that, but it is nice to see some skilled guys, you know, every once in a while not afraid or, you know, tough guys like Tom Wilson, um, who, you know, has got a lot of skill and stuff, but can also be a policeman. And uh, I think that that's a player that the Bruins need um, as well. And I think that that's still a very, very important aspect. I think that some yeah, teams I mean, blow. The Bruins, the Bruins need a Lucic again. We don't have one. Correct. Some guy who can and play on the second, first line that can also protect guys. Now, uh, we did put on our Twitter, we have a new Twitter account recently and we did put up there. I want to make sure that we uh, throw this out there to any, any, Bruins fans out there of uh, one player that I think should have their jersey retired. The Bruins have got many jerseys retired, and you know I'm not sure the criteria, uh, but one guy that should have his jersey retired is former captain, former assistant coach Wayne Cashman. Interesting pick. Okay, he you know he was a captain of our team for a long time. He went on to be assistant coach. He I think he was a head coach interim, maybe Philadelphia. I can't really remember. And then he was assistant coach again somewhere else. And uh, and now he's, you know, I, I believe he's retired. But anyway, number 12, 
And it's interesting with the Bruins because you can kind of see what they're planning in the future as far as retirement when you're not seeing certain jerseys being worn. Right. And uh, now number 12 has been worn, you know, after Wayne Cashman. But I think that uh, they ought to be thinking about, you know, that would be a good guy. And I think there was a falling up with Cashman and the Bruins organization um, a while ago. I think it was more of a personality, not a player thing. I think it was, you know, when he was assistant coach. But anyway, definitely someone there that, uh, you know, spent his whole career in Boston, could score, could fight. You know, had a wicked left hand. I just think it's a player that he is probably in the 70s, I would imagine, and certainly deserving. I mean, he was a Boston Bruins through and through. And uh, there's definitely a guy there that I want to throw out there that I think they should retire his jersey. Well, that's a pretty interesting choice. I'm not going to lie. A pretty good uh, observation. I think, about I think the... one of our podcasts or a few podcasts, we should have segments on, you know, old like uh, Bruin jersey numbers that no one's wearing and who who wore them in the past and you know could there be you know a chance that they would retire those for example when Terry O'Reilly retired in the mid 80s no one ever wore 24 right you know I mean it just wasn't gonna happen you know so you know, you you never know. And then you look at the Phil Esposito where Ray Bork had his number seven. Right. And Ray Bork, graciously enough, in the 80s, you know, forfeited his jersey number and took on 77, which was then retired later on. Um, so it's not unheard of that they would retire a jersey that's been worn by other players. But I think you can kind of go around and figure out, you know, is there anybody that the Bruins are hanging on to that they – you know, they may retire the number. Yeah, that, I think that'd be a really good segment. That's a good observation too, Dad. And that might be a good factor to look at and research and to go, this person could be retired. We haven't seen their jersey number played in a while. And that'd be pretty good. Well, Dad, I appreciate you toughing it out. And, and you know, and to, and to anybody and any of our listeners, you know, we do apologize that things are a little bit differently. Um, that the quality may not be as solid as it usually is because we have a pretty good setup for a podcast. But we do appreciate everybody tuning back in for episode five for our weekly um, episode for the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. And Dad, before we go, do you have anything you'd like to say to the listeners? No, I think we're going to try working on Andrew and I of trying to get some guests here on our show. And we appreciate a lot of the support that we've been getting here since we've been at it a little over a month. And uh, if you you know, if there's any uh, comments anybody would like to write about uh, or write to us, please go ahead and do that. And maybe even some topics that you'd like to hear about for some old Bruins hockey, since uh, we do talk about old Bruins and old NHL. But uh, that's that's it from my end, Andrew. All righty. Well, we appreciate everybody once again for tuning into episode five of the Lindroth Hockey Podcast. Please wear your mask. Let's get these numbers down so we can all go to a hockey game again. You all, Amen. Have a, you all have a wonderful day.